you would turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. Mark is the second book of the New Testament. We're going to be looking this morning mainly at a passage from Mark chapter 10, although we will also look at another passage from the Old Testament in Deuteronomy. But the bulk of our time will be spent in Mark 10. And if you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Lord, we ask this morning that you would open up your word to us. Lord, as we study such an important topic as children and the nature of children in the home, we pray, O oh Lord, that you would strip away all of our preferences, all of our patterns, and that you would instead fill us with your word, that in your word we would find true wisdom, true grace, and true hope. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. As we continue in our series in the family, let me remind you that we have looked at the various people of the family who are essential. We saw how fathers are supposed to lead in the church. We saw that mothers are the glue of the family. Pictures of compassion and care. And now we look at children. Children are important. Children are not just to be seen and not heard. Because God values children. And he has charged fathers and mothers with the raising of children. Children are a gift from God. To their parents. And therefore, parents have a responsibility before the Lord for them. This morning, we will think about those responsibilities in three categories. First, we will look at the atmosphere of the home. The atmosphere of the home. Secondly, we will look at a commitment to spiritual things. And then thirdly, we will look at the stewardship of the gift of children. The atmosphere of the home, a commitment to spiritual things, and stewardship of the gift of children. 
Let's begin by thinking about the atmosphere of the home. Now, atmosphere is something that we take for granted. I'm going to be very bold this morning and say that I don't believe any of you woke up, got dressed, got in the car and came to church and thought at all about the chemical composition of the atmosphere in the air. We just don't do that. We take it for granted. We just acknowledge that we're the beneficiaries of that atmosphere. No one thinks about the levels of oxygen and the levels of nitrogen in the atmosphere until there's a problem. And then it gets our attention. You know, if there were more nitrogen in the air than there currently is, there would be severe problems. If there were more oxygen in the air than there was, we think of oxygen as being the good thing in the air, you can have too much of it. There were medical studies done decades ago when pediatric physicians thought it would be wise to put preemie babies, babies in the NICU, in a kind of a tented area where pure oxygen would be pumped in. And that would help them and they would be stronger and they would grow. The only problem was we weren't made for pure oxygen. God knows better than pediatricians. And there were all sorts of problems that ensued for those little ones. Now, why am I mentioning this? Because this is how we could often approach the home. We simply assume everything is fine until a problem occurs. But a biblical view of the family should be proactive. It should be conscious to follow the Lord's instructions. And we should think about the fact that atmosphere, the atmosphere that we are in, affects our ability and our growth. Have you ever tried to do strenuous exercise on a mountaintop when the atmosphere is very thin? You realize very quickly that you can't do it. You know, one of the hardest parts of my wonderful vacation to the United Kingdom was when some of my so-called friends tried to get me to climb up some massive mountain. Well, I guess it was technically a hill, but it was massive. And, and there were several points where I thought, this is it. And I knew I was in trouble when my good friend looked at me and he said, what's your heart rate? And I looked at my watch and he said, stop and sit down, please. So you can't do this. And it's not because of your skill set. It's not because you're not prepared for it. It's because of the atmosphere. And so it will make a difference in the family if there's an atmosphere of hypocrisy or sincerity. If there's an atmosphere of coldness or of warmth, an atmosphere of distance or of closeness, that affects the family. And so the Lord gives us instruction as to how to cultivate a proper atmosphere for our children. And the very first thing that I want you to see is that it is good and right to be physically affectionate with children. Look at the scene before us in Mark 10. In both Mark 9 and Mark 10, Jesus is teaching on a variety of subjects. There are plenty of adults present, but there are also children. And Jesus doesn't keep the children at a distance, but instead he brings them close to him. This would appear to be a habit of our Lord's, because in Mark 9, he's in Capernaum, and he has the children come close to him. 
And then in Mark 10, he's in Judea, and he does the same thing. Jesus is using children as an illustration of his teaching, but he doesn't make them objects. He doesn't point at them. He doesn't use them. Do you notice that? He calls the child over. First, we see this in Mark 36. He takes 9:36. He takes a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him into his arms, he said, "Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me." And then again in Mark 10, our passage before us, he takes the children into his arms and he blesses them. Now, what Jesus could have done is he could have said, "You." Little one, stand up. Everybody look at that kid. I want to show you something from that kid. Now, if you're a child today, you know that that would be horrific. And your pastor would never ask you to stand up in the middle of a sermon and point at you. But you know, even grown-ups realize how awkward that could be. But Jesus is not awkward with the children. He's not trying to use them. He wants to show them that he loves them. And to make the point, he takes them up in his arms. The word that's used here means to embrace. And and actually, this is one of those few occasions where I'm going to give you some technical Greek lexicon help. When you look this word, take up in your arms, in the Greek... The technical term for it is hug. That's what it means. The picture we have here is of Jesus like an affectionate family friend or a grandpa or a dad or an uncle or an aunt scooping up the children, showing them he loves them, holding them affectionately in his arms. At the same time that he's making his point, he's showing love and physical attention. Now, this shows us that physical affection is good and proper. You have to understand this. This is one of those occasions where you don't get to say to the pastor, but pastor, you don't know my upbringing. I grew up in a family where we didn't hug, and we didn't use emotional words, and we didn't kiss, and we we stood off aside, and that's just who we are. And I say, that's okay, but you know what? You're redeemed by the blood of Christ. And Jesus is redeeming that in you. You don't get to say, well, pastor, I'm just an angry person all the time. That's how I grew up. That's how I was. You're going to have to put up with me screaming and yelling at people. No, I'm not. That's what redemption is all about. Becoming less like who you were and more like Jesus. And so even with this, with children, with physical affection, you are called to be more like Jesus. Jesus. Now, I understand that there are improper ways to show physical affection. I understand there are inappropriate times and improper subjects to show affection to. But we cannot say that physical affection is wrong. In fact, we have to say it's good and proper because Jesus demonstrates it. Do not put yourself in the position of saying that Jesus is wrong here. In fact, Jesus himself received physical affection. You remember the story in Luke 7 where the sinful woman comes to him 
and she washes his feet and dries them with her hair. And then do you remember how Luke records it? He says she couldn't stop kissing his feet. Physical affection showing out. Do you remember after Jesus rose from the dead what he had to say to Mary? Don't hold on to me. Don't cling to me. Now, I like to picture that, that Mary sees Jesus. She loves him so much. She needs him so much that she is all over Jesus. She is gripping him tight and saying, Lord, we're so glad you're here. Lord, we, we were so lost without you. And now Jesus, don't think Jesus is saying, oh, don't, don't touch me, Mary. You make me uncomfortable. That's not what Jesus is saying. What he's saying is, you can't cling to me now because I have to go. But Jesus doesn't rebuke her for that affection. And so in the home, we need to follow the lead of Jesus. If Jesus can draw children into his arms and show them love and affection, so can we. Now, you do need to use wisdom in circumstances. There is no need to make your child feel awkward in public. Fathers, I'm not going to dissuade you from giving a bear hug to your 15 or 16-year-old boy. But you might not want to do it while he's hanging out with the football team. Same with daughters. There are certain times when daughters just love to sit on the couch next to dad, next to mom, kind of snuggle up. But then there are other times where it might be embarrassing if you gave her a big hug and a kiss on the cheek, she'd go, but dad. So you can use wisdom in circumstances, but don't let it be because you never show physical affection. Children need to know that they're loved, that they're valued. And one other important way you can do that is by physical touch. Now, could you imagine, you all know the story of the prodigal son. Could you imagine as the prodigal son comes back, the father sees him and walks up to him and says, boy, put her there. Firm handshake. I'm so glad you're back. Right? That makes no sense at all, right? What do we know? We know that the father lifts up his robe and he runs to his son and he grabs him in an embrace and he kisses his neck because he loves his son. So I want to encourage you, parents, fathers and mothers, to cultivate an atmosphere of love for your children. Now, there's another part of the atmosphere of the home. Actions toward our children are important, but words are too. Our children need to be assured of our love for them. Now, you may say, well, of course they know I love them. How do they know that? Well, because I do. They should know that. But why would we leave it at that? We live in a world filled with sin. And sin makes us doubt that we are loved, among other things. Think about perhaps your own doubts of God's love, wondering if you've fallen out of his favor. And remember also that children are continually given verbal criticism for their own sin. Now, this is not wrong to a point. We need to correct sinful behaviors and habits in our children for their own good so they don't perpetuate them. But this can lead to a one way of talking. 
Do not let the only way you speak to your children be correction and rebuke and criticism. Words are important. They're life. How does God assure us that he loves us? Well, of course, he blesses us physically and circumstantially. And our temptation is to rely on that in the home. Dad will say, well, of course I love you. I worked to make the money that gives you everything you need. Mom will say, well, of course I love you. Do you think your clothes folded themselves and washed themselves? Do you think dinner shot out of the refrigerator and onto the table? Of course I love you. Look at how hard I work for you. And God does this as well. God does so much more than that. We couldn't survive without God's continual work on our behalf. And yet, God tells us over and over again that he loves us. He tells us we are his treasure. The Father even does this with Jesus. Now, if there was anyone who would not need verbal assurance, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, the Father told others that Jesus was his beloved Son on the Mount of Transfiguration. And then there's another interesting scene. It's at the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you look closely at the way that Luke records it, God doesn't say, this is my beloved son. The father says to the son, you are my beloved son. Parents, do not let your only verbal expressions to children be when they are wrong. That's going to happen often enough. Find times and ways to encourage them and to assure them of your love for them, your joy in them. Cultivate an atmosphere of love in your home. But there is also a value to children beyond their place in the home. And that brings us to our second point. Parents are to have a commitment to spiritual things with their children. Children, like all people, have an eternal soul that is precious beyond all we could imagine. Children are a part of the home, and how they experience early life affects them greatly. But eventually, they leave the home, and they make their way in the world, and they will need to stand themselves before God. And it is far too common for the family to make assumptions about spiritual things. Parents assume that because they take their children to church, that all is well. Children assume that because their parents have faith in God, that God will bless them and love them. And so it is far too easy to drift along with the tide until something changes. Perhaps it's a point of crisis and a child rejects the faith. Or maybe it's the first opportunity to be independent. Often college is the place where children are able to ignore or neglect God. Because no one is forcing them to go to church. No one is checking on them to see if they're reading their Bible. But one of the things that Jesus is showing us here in Mark 10 is that we must have a gospel urgency with our children. Notice the scene. 
parents are bringing their children to Jesus. They want them to be with Jesus. But the disciples are saying, no, this isn't the right time. It's messy. It's loud. It's awkward. Wait until later, is essentially what the disciples are saying. They were hindering the children from coming to Jesus. Preventing them. Not now. Maybe later is the sense of what they're saying. And that can be our attitude in the home if we're not careful. There's plenty of time, we might say. Why press things with the children? They're hearing about Jesus. They're hearing the Bible. They're hearing stories of faith. Isn't that enough? No, that should not be our view. Bring the children to Jesus. Put them in his arms. Be eager for them to close with Christ. Do you see Jesus' urgency here in Mark 10? He was indignant that the children were being kept from him. Now this word indignant means to be roused with anger at something that is wrong. And interestingly enough, this is the only place in the Gospels where this word is used of Jesus. This is where he is angriest. Where children are being prohibited from coming to him. Jesus is telling us that children should come to him. That you should bring them to him. He actually says that children are perfectly fitted for the Gospel. Because their faith is not rationalized. Their faith is not for show. It is sincere. So I want to ask you, moms and dads, do you have a gospel urgency for your children? Grandparents, do you have a gospel urgency for your grandchildren? Do you desire them to see Jesus, to learn at the feet of Jesus? But of course, the Bible doesn't leave our spiritual commitment to children to that. Because the Bible doesn't know anything about a believer who simply waits around for heaven to come. No, we are called to grow in grace, Peter says in 2 Peter 3. We're called to grow into Christ, Paul says in Ephesians 4. We're called to walk worthy of our calling in Colossians 1. And interestingly enough, we are called in the Great Commission not to make converts, but to make disciples. Conversion is the first step, but then we have to show others how to follow the Lord and His commands. And the Bible says the same thing regarding children. Let's turn to the Old Testament, to the book of Deuteronomy. It means the second giving of the law. It's the last of the first five books of Moses. And if we go to chapter 6, we see the greatest example, I think, in the Bible of instructing children. And that is with the Shema. Now, Shema is simply a Hebrew word that means hear. And as we look at the text, you'll see why this text is called the Shema. In verse 3, we read, Hear, therefore... O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go with you, 
and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. This is the great confession of the Old Testament. It is God telling His people who He is and how they are to love Him. And this is crucial for them to believe. God says these words should be in our hearts. But then God goes further in verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Now, what does that mean? Well, I think to the average evangelical in 21st century America, it means coming once a week to church in the morning and maybe bringing your kids to vacation Bible school. That that's sufficient. But God has a much more robust way of applying this command. He tells parents to have their whole life be one of teaching and discipling their children. They're talking of it when they sit and when they walk and when they lie down and when they rise and they're to bind it on their hand and bind it on their forehead. To teach diligently, as is written in verse 7, means to inculcate, to teach by repetition, to say over and over and over again. And I don't think I need to teach moms and dads about that principle. Seriously, how many of your kids learned to turn the light off before you told them 750 times? Or how many of them did anything, put the drink away after you poured it, without having to repeat yourself over and over and over? We just assume that. If we want children to learn, We need to keep repeating ourselves over and over and over again. Why would it be any different with spiritual things? Why would we think we could just throw a one-off or a two-off and they'll catch it? When they can't do basic things unless it's repeated over and over again. That's who we are. And I hate to tell you, parents, we're not a lot different than kids. I'll confess to you as your pastor, I've told you, My main job is to keep repeating to you things you already know because you need to be reminded. That's discipleship. And that's what Deuteronomy is saying. God tells us that we're to, as we sit, walk, lie down, get up, basically all of the time, we are always to put the Lord before our children. Now, children, this is not a pass for you because your parents are called by God to be committed to the Lord in your home. But you have a call to be committed to Jesus. Just like they can't assume there's plenty of time for you to know Jesus, you can't assume that either. God has put you in a home with parents who love Jesus. That is a blessing. God is calling you to himself Right now, do not wait. Run to Jesus. Be in his arms. Sit at his feet and learn. Be thankful for that blessing. Now, thirdly, I want to close with a word of warning and reassurance. 
Fathers and mothers are called to cultivate an atmosphere of love and spiritual commitment in the home. And they are called to bring their children to Jesus, telling their children how wonderful Jesus is, how much they need Jesus. But you need to hear this and hear it clearly. You are not God. You cannot make your children believe in Jesus. Nothing you do can change a sinner's heart. You are not the Holy Spirit. You can't do His job. The Bible clearly tells us that salvation belongs to the Lord. He is the one who makes a new creation. And there is no exception for children born into the homes of believers. The Bible is full of examples of families where children have wandered from God. Ishmael, Esau, Absalom. Now wait a minute. This does not excuse parents from their duty to obey God's commands. But it doesn't make you ultimately responsible. Often parents believe the lie that they are to blame for their children wandering from Christ. That's just not true. Trust your theology from the Bible. You can't prevent God from doing His work. Even with your sin and incompetence. You can't stop God. If you could, then none of us would be saved. Because we're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. But there's another lie that we have to reject. It's the idea that if we just have a perfect home, if we just do everything right, then our children are guaranteed to be saved. And if we believe that lie, the lie that says we can manipulate God to our ends, then we fall into legalism. We begin to focus on the externals and ignore the heart of the matter. That was the main error of the Pharisees. They thought they could manipulate the externals and be right with God. Seek the Lord in prayer for your children. Bring them to the Word of God. Teach them the importance of heart trusting in Jesus. Your children's true hope is Jesus, not you. Your children are worthy of all your efforts to bring them to Jesus. They are the most precious gift that God has given you. Especially in a day of so many distractions when we are tempted to try and go out and find material things for our children. The best education, the best sports experience, the latest and greatest gadgets. We have to focus on what is most important. A real challenge to living in Katy today is to try to keep up with the Joneses. To give our kids the best of everything. I'm here to tell you to do exactly that. But think about what is best. What is best is Jesus. What is best is to give them a home filled with love for Jesus and love for them. Don't fret about the latest things. 
bring them to the arms of Jesus. Let's pray.